Y'all, uh, we are continuing, uh, in the book of Judges and, uh, uh, covering Gideon, uh, in particular. Uh, before I get into this, I want to also announce to you all, um, uh, we have a, a missionary of, uh, the Elliots, Ben Elliott. How many of y'all remember Ben Elliott? Wayne and Nancy's son, and uh, he is uh, uh, ministering in Zacatecas, uh, Mexico, and uh, he is going to be here next week. He's going to be giving testimony next week of what God has done, and he's also going to be sharing the word. So I would encourage you all just to be here and hear uh, him share what God is doing, and uh, he's going to bring a good word, I know, um, and and so... I uh, just want us to support him and bless him and his precious family. Uh, starting at Judges 6.34. We've talked about how uh, I've said the past couple of weeks how I had attributed cowardliness to Gideon. And I thought the angel of the Lord, when he encountered him, when he said, the, you know, when he called him a mighty man of valor, that he was speaking those things that are not as though they were. That he wasn't speaking truthfully. Well, it, you know what I mean. That he was saying, it's in there, it just hasn't presented itself yet. But I learned that he really meant that, that Gideon was a mighty man of valor. He had different ways of, of going about things, but, but his, his, the things that he did were more calculated and more well thought out and strategic than anything to do about him being cowardly. So when the angel of the Lord spoke to him, he was speaking to him a truth about his character. When he was in the wine press threshing wheat, it wasn't necessarily because he was, his, he was shaking with fear. It was because it was a practical way for him to thresh the wheat and produce sustenance that the people could actually partake of. He could have been bold by our standards and did it out on the threshing floor but it's out in the open the enemy could see it the enemy would come down take it and the people would never have benefited from it that factored into why he was chosen in the first place and when the angel of the lord told him to tear down the the, the altar, the bell, and the to tear down the, 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 uh, the poles and everything, do all that, and erect an altar for God. Whoo! He did it at night. But not because he was afraid of consequences, but because at night gave him a better chance of completing the work without opposition. Not necessarily that he was hiding and didn't want people to know he did it. He just wanted to do it and complete it. And he was prepared to take the fallout afterwards. And so we're going to continue. 
He did those things. And he blew the horn. And like I said last week, don't always look at things at surface level and make assumptions that that is, that what you see on the surface is reality. Like we know in the winter, things turn brown. Things look dead on the surface. But underneath the ground, there's a root system that is still alive. There's still a process going on that when the season changes and the springtime comes, that which looks dead is going to spring up with new life. It was never dead despite what it looked like on the surface. Well, there was a remnant of people who still believed in God and wanted to walk with God. And it wasn't readily apparent, but when he tore down the altars of Baal, when he tore down the Asherah poles, he erected an altar for God and he blew the horn. There were people all over that stood up and, 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 and followed him. All right? There's always a remnant. God always has a remnant. And despite the way things look on the surface level in our precious country, God is still on the throne. God is still in control. Despite the way that things look in your life, whatever you're confronted with, whatever it might appear, uh, however bad it might appear to you, God is still on the throne. God is still with you. God is for you. And he is faithful. He will do as he has promised. Amen? Whatever flaws you may have and, and whatever negative self-talk you may engage in when you look in the mirror, stop lying to yourself because God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're so precious to him that he gave his only begotten son to suffer and die on a cross for your sin that you might be reconciled to him. That's how, that's how wanted and loved you are. Are you hearing me? Okay. It, it may look different if you focus on the circumstances, but the spiritual reality, the spiritual truth is what's real and what really matters. Amen. And so they rallied behind him. And it says here in verse 34, chapter 6, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abiezrites gathered behind him. And still just they have no idea whether or not I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know if it's Abiezrites or Abiezrites, but we'll, we'll stick with Abiezrites. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And as I was, and as I was reading this, this song came to mind, very familiar. God is so good. God is so good. Y'all sing it with me. God is so good. He's so good to me. He loves me so. He loves me so. He loves me so, he's so good to me. So everything's good. God is good. He loves me. That's how, it has to be how Gideon is feeling at this time. He's riding high. And let's read on verse 36. 
So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. And there's another verse. Then he goes to, God answers prayer. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He's so good to me. Everything's going good. Everything's going well. He's, uh, he's on fire for God. Chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to keep flowing here. Then then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. So the fleece worked well. He's, he's, He's confident that this is God he's speaking to. This is God's will. He's moving. I'll do his will. I'll do his will. (laughs) I'll do his will. He's so good to me. Then verse 2 comes. And the Lord said to Gideon, (laughs) he's fired up. He's got tens of thousands of people behind him. He's like, we're going to do this. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you (laughs) are too many. For me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remains. We had 32,000, a force of 32,000. And this God that is so good and loves him so much and answers prayer told him, you got too many people. We're going to have to whittle that down. We're going to have to take your advantage and reduce it. And I can imagine him saying, He's so unfair. He's so unfair. (laughs) He's so unfair. He's unfair to me. But that's not all he does. So he's unfair now. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. 
And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Now, imagine what Gideon probably thinking here. It's like, okay, 300 fewer, I can handle that. You know, God hasn't told him which way he's going to go. You know, just divide him up. Put these people over here, these people over there. Okay, I see a few hundred there. I see a lot of people over there. Okay. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So he goes from 32,000 men to 300. Now the Midianites, you know, that whole host of army, they're like locusts. They can't even be counted, them and their camels. God has me stressed. God has me stressed. Does he want me dead? He's so mean to me. I'm just trying to, I got to believe, if I was Gideon, I'd be feeling that way. Wouldn't you? Goodness gracious. But God commanded that, and uh, somehow, some way, Gideon worked through it. And he still doesn't know yet specifically what God's going to have him do. He just knows that he's going to take this 300 and deliver the people. But you remember we talked about last time that God is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. I believe that's exemplified in these coming verses. Uh, let's read verses 9 through 15, and I'll share what I want to share about that. You imagine that Gideon is a little unsettled by the numbers. Even with the 32,000, he was still going to face an army that far outnumbered his forces. But he was willing to go because God had confirmed that he would be with him and he'd be mighty enough to do it. Okay? And the numbers decreased from 32,000 to 10,000, from 10,000 to 300. If you want to know why the thing that God calls you to do or, or, or why you seem to be encountering circumstances that are beyond you, why does God do this to me? Is he angry with me? Uh, what Did I do something wrong? No. God wants us to walk with him in faith, 
and trust him through the circumstances so that through those circumstances he can get the glory. Amen? Through those circumstances, when you're the three Hebrew boys facing a fiery furnace to say, we believe he can save us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow the knee. Well, if they're not willing to trust God in that moment, if they're not willing to stand on the truth of God in that moment, you can't see the miracle of God of God saving them in the fiery furnace. If Moses doesn't go do, doesn't go to Pharaoh and say what God told him to say, let my people go. That's a circumstance that's beyond him. If you look at it, that's a one-sided matchup. He would, he should have gotten creamed. And he would have if he did not go in the strength of his God. And the fact that the most powerful man alive gets brought low and the children of Israel are delivered. And one man, Moses and Aaron go there and they just declare what God told them to declare. They stood on it. And it was a walk of faith, and I'm sure there were some nervous times, but they trusted God, and God came through, and out came the children of Israel. In a way that there could be no doubt that it was the work of the Lord. So I would encourage us, you know, instead of woe is me, why am I going through this? Why am I always faced with these circumstances and so forth? I, I, I would have you to open up your mind, you know, and, and to consider that God may be doing a work. It may be hard. It may be uncomfortable. It may be difficult for you to go through, but, but God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. So get comfortable in your weakness. Okay, get comfortable in your weakness, okay, realizing that the strength of God will carry you through. And oftentimes, we want so badly to feel strong. And, I, and I'm not going to uh, talk bad about that. We want so badly to, 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 to feel strong that, 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 that we are resistant to really humbling ourselves and, and allowing ourselves to be weak in, in, in and of ourselves so that we can be strong in the strength of the Lord. And we have to be willing to walk there in that scary place, in that vulnerable place. And I know there's a stigma. Our, our society looks down on weakness. There's something wrong with you if you're weak. But I don't care what society says. What does God say? Okay? We're walking with God. We're in this world, but we're not of it. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, right? And so we are his ambassadors. So God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's what he told Paul when he asked him three times to remove his weakness. Right? Well, I guess it's right. And so, that's what he's done to Gideon here. Gideon probably felt a position of strength. I've got several thousand people. I've got an army. I've got my boys behind me. We're ready to rock. 
God was like, oh, <laughs> y'all are feeling a little too strong right now. I know how y'all are. If I let y'all wage battle, you'll think, look what we did. And there will be many among you that won't acknowledge the work of the Lord in this because they'll feel like they did it in their own strength. And, and so he's asking him to be weak so that the Lord's strength can manifest on their behalf. Amen? And maybe God's asking that of us here today. Stop trying to do it in our own strength, in our own way, and, and, and so forth, and, and, and just surrender to God's will and God's way and trust him to do the heavy lifting. And so, okay, verse 9, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So that makes sense. Okay, there's only three of you now. You know how many they are. All right? So if you're afraid to go down under these circumstances, okay, won't you go down, take pure your servant, go down to the camp and see what they say. So then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. <laughs> I don't know what that number is. It's a lot. And their camels were without number. As the sand by the seashore in multitude. <laughs> and there he is with his 300 dudes. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said to his companion, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. And so God was Jehovah Shalom for him right there. God is peace. He understood this young man might be, might find it a little hard to believe how a band of 300 men could take on probably a hundred thousand or more. And it go well for them. So what does he need in this time? He's already committed to obeying me. It's, at this point, Gideon was committed. So God was focused on give, bringing peace to the troubled heart. Dealing with whatever fear and anxiety might be there. See, God will tell us to do these amazing things, but he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He understands the human emotion. 
He's in all points tempted, just like we are, yet without sin. So Jesus experienced everything that we might experience emotionally. When he challenges us, when he convicts us, when he commands us to do that, which blows our minds and we don't feel we're up to it, he understands everything that's going on on the inside of us, and he will minister to that. Are you hearing that? And so he's ministering to that. And what are the odds? These guys are part of the camp that he's supposed to overtake. One guy has a dream. This is the enemy talking. One has a dream and the other has the interpretation of the dream. They have no idea Gideon is right there hearing it and that this conversation is appointed by God for a purpose to encourage Gideon to strengthen his faith and for him to know that this thing is real, you are going to have victory. Don't worry about the numbers. Just do what I say do and what I say will come to pass will come to pass. And after that, hearing that conversation, he went back and told his guys, get up, get up. It's go time. The Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hands. And let's, let's keep it moving here. Then he went and divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand, not a sword. Not an AR-15. Not a spear. A trumpet in each man's hand. With empty pitchers <laughs> and torches inside the pitchers. So you got a trumpet in one hand and you basically got an elaborate, you got a torch or candle in the other hand. And we're going to go against this army and we're going to wipe them out. Go God. Let's do this. I got to wonder if the men were wondering about, uh, Gideon's state of mind. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say this, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You know, I wasn't going to put this three verse, three verses in here, but I felt led to do so because again, this is a consistent thread or a consistent, um, trait of Gideon. He's an outside of the box thinker. Okay. Again, no one but him thought of threshing wheat in the wine press. And there was, there was reason behind it. It wasn't fear motivated, you know, it, it was a results motivated thing. And when God told him to tear down the altar and the poles, what did he do? He did it at night to, it wasn't as much, it said because he feared his father and, 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 and the men, he did it at night. But it wasn't a fear. It, like I said, I overemphasized that word fear in the past. It was just he knew that if he did it in the day, they were going to do everything in their power to prevent it. So he did it at night. They found out it was him the next morning. 
And like I said last week, he asked 10 men to help him. If you and two other people know something, it's going to get out. He asked 10 men to help him. You're not trying to do something. If you want something to be totally secret, you're trying to do it by yourself. Right? This wasn't a, this wasn't a fear in a way that he wanted no one to know he did it. It was him just wanting to do it in a way that ensured it got done. Here, God has whittled down, whittled down his army from 32,000 to 300, and he's coming up with this strategy. Outside the box thinking, okay, well, with 300 people, we can't just run in there all kamikaze-like and just hope to slaughter everybody that way. We're going to have to be a little creative in our military approach, right? And so, and so he does something designed to create confusion and designed to create a belief amongst the enemy forces that they are surrounded by a force that is larger than them. And so he breaks the 300 up into three groups of, I assume, 100. That, that would seem to be logical math to me. And they've got horns. They've got pitchers with torches in them. And they've got voices. And they're going to shout. They're going to break the pitchers. They're going to blow the horns. And they're going to say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And, and, and we'll see what ensues after that. Well, I won't actually uh, go into that, but I'll just say they did all that. And the Lord made the enemy turn their swords on their, on their own companions. They started to flee. They panicked. They were discombobulated. They were actually, some of them, many of them, killed one another. And those who didn't die, they fled. Gideon pursued after them. And eventually, they defeated them all. And once they had done so, I want you to uh, go to chapter 8. Once they had done so, Gideon was a hero. This guy who apparently was hiding in the wine press, threshing wheat, this guy who was supposedly not brave enough to do what God said in the middle of the day. This guy, with flanked by 300 men, routed an army. And if you read, hold on, I'm about to make the... Uh, Sound with people mad at me here. And do something I almost never do. Read a verse that I didn't give them. No, I'm kidding. They know better than that. Okay. If I can find it. Well, um, as they were, I know it's in chapter 8. I'm trying to rush and scroll through. But there was about 140,000 
it made reference to there being about 140,000 men when they were pursuing uh, Ziba and Zalmunna and eventually um, huh? Yes, thank you. And it said, now Ziba and Zalmunna were at Karkar and their armies with them, about 15,000, all who were left of all the army of the people of the east. For 120,000 men who drew the sword had already fallen. And so they're down to the last 15,000. 120 had already fallen. They uh, take care of them. That's about 135,000. And this whole thing started off with 300 men led by Gideon. Isn't it amazing what God can do? When we walk with him in faith and trust him unwaveringly, when we don't allow the circumstances to intimidate us to the point to where, to where we, won't, we aren't willing to venture out in obedience to what God is telling us to do for fear of failure. Are you hearing me? And so, I want to finish today, verses 22 and 23 of this same chapter, Judges 8. And that, this, in this will be the title of the message. But it says in verse 22, it shouldn't shock anyone. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. Both you and your son and your grandson also. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Think about, did he deliver them from the hand of Midian? Now, they're still saying this. Even after God told him to dwindle the army down to 300 people. There's no way 300 men could deliver them from 135,000. So God was proven right. Lord, if they had done it in th- with 32,000, but they're saying, hey, we want to make you king. We want to make you ru- rule over us. And here is what really blessed my heart. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son Rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And then it just made it so crystal clear to me, even more so, even in addition to the wonderful traits that I've talked about Gideon before, but this heart, you know, this is a man that really feared the Lord. He had an opportunity to be exalted into a kingship, you know, or a rulership at the very least. And he was humble enough, walked humbly enough with his God to say, no, 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 no. You are attributing to me, accrediting me for a victory that does not belong to me. You are trying, you want to bestow upon me an honor that is not mine to have. That honor you want to bestow upon me belongs to God. And how did we get ourselves in this trouble to begin with? We forgot that it is God who rules us. 
We forgot that there's only one God. Elohim, there's only one God. Jehovah. We began to worship other gods. That's why we were given over to the Midianites in the first place. And now this God forgives us, delivers us, and they don't even give him credit <laughs> for the victory. You know? So I don't I don't necessarily want to harp there. I want to harp on the heart of Gideon. Because that's where we need to park. That's where our hearts need to be. Whatever victory I get, God, it's not the victory I gained. It's the victory you blessed me with. Whatever righteous deeds I do, Lord, the... Those righteous deeds didn't make me righteous. It's what you did through your son, Christ Jesus. I'm only righteous by grace through faith. I'm only righteous by the blood of Christ. Amen? I I am redeemed through the cross. Um, to the extent that I'm walking more righteously than I did a year ago, it's due to your sanctifying work in me. Amen? And so, you know, so, so, so we need to acknowledge that every victory in our life is because of the God of our salvation. Amen? And let's give him the glory. Let's remember him. Not just when we have communion, but let's remember him daily. Let's acknowledge him daily. Let's be, let's, let, let's go to God for every, every doubt that we have about ourselves. Let's take it to God. He says, take all these cares and cast them at his feet because he cares for you. Right? Let's, let's let him care for us like it's his heart to do. And if God is speaking to you to do something, okay, do not view your ability to do it, you know, uh, uh, divorced from God. Do not, do not, do not determine whether you can do it or not just strictly based on what you bring to the table. But enlarge your perspective and say, isn't it like God to call you to something that is beyond you? But in every case in the Bible where he did that, he enabled the person he called to do what he called him or her to do. He did not leave them to their own devices. He did not leave them hanging. He supported them. He, he, he moved immovable obstacles out of their way and, and they were able to do it. And it became a testimony of the goodness of God, the provision of God, the power of God, and that he is over and above, uh, he's over and above any circumstances, any hurdle, any, anything that will come against us. Because God is with us, we are more than conquerors. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, I want to leave you with that. The Lord shall rule over you. Make him 
not just Savior, but Lord of your life. Let your mind be renewed to the fact that he should rule over you. Do not put another person or thing in that position of rulership of your life where only God himself belongs. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father God, I lift up your precious sons and daughters this morning. I don't know where each and every one stand with you at this moment. Uh, I know that if they've declared Christ Jesus the Lord and, and, and Savior, that he's the only begotten son of almighty God. That he's fully man and fully God. That he lived a sinless life and and he, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world, gave himself, allowed himself to be sacrificed on that cross at Calvary. And through his shed blood, and through his sacrifice, and his rising from the dead on that third day, conquering that cross, conquering death and hell. And him being seated at the right hand of the Father proved that he is the only begotten Son of God and that he is the only way through which we can be reconciled to you and have eternal salvation. Hallelujah. So I lift up your sons and daughters this morning, Lord. That your truth may rule and reign in their hearts. That your word will be quickened within them. And it will be that which governs them. That right and wrong will be determined strictly by your word. That when the Holy Spirit convicts, that when the Holy Spirit leads and guides, that that they will acknowledge that as part of your rule and they will obey accordingly. That we will walk with you in faith. We will walk with you trustingly. And we will not forget the goodness of God. For we have tasted and we have seen your goodness. You are good. You are faithful. You are true. You are mighty. And in every circumstance we face, you are our victory. And we thank you for that, Lord, and we will be sure to not forget 
We will not attribute to another person that which belongs to you. We will not idolize another thing in a way that we should be honoring and worshiping you. We will let you be God in us and through us. That your will on this earth will be carried out as it is in heaven. Be glorified in us and through us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.